Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. Today, I feel a bit grumpy, and it's partly because I was sleeping, and since I'm sleeping so much lately with the help of Zoplicone, I missed out on on an opportunity to hang out with someone and some little ones that I care about. So I'm sitting here by myself, and if I was up a little bit earlier, then I wouldn't have missed out. There's a lot of bugs in the grass here. Um, So I feel kind of like grumpy about that for some reason. And yeah, I think I heard someone calling me, but I was in my dark room and I just didn't get up. So I feel like that's partly because I didn't know what time it was, and then I looked at the time, and it was late, and I missed out, so I kind of feel bad. feel maybe mad at myself, because I know I have a bit of a wall up in general. It's sort of like walling off that energy as to not share it with anyone because they don't want it from what I've seen in previous waves of that energy so I feel kind of disconnected and even more forgetful about people And I still feel kind of like, I'm just not going to come back. And so maybe part of putting up that wall is just preparing myself for that perspective of, I don't know if I'm coming back. Then I had a little bit of suicidal thinking and it's like, no, don't think that way. Just think I'm leaving and I'm not coming back here. It doesn't mean... Like, death would be the same thing, leaving and not coming back. But so is going on a trip and then going with the flow after that. So, I just feel a little bit weird, I don't know. And there are a lot of bugs in this grass. And I signed up for... Steve Pavlina's 30-day abundance deep dive. It was 100 bucks US and I'm just watching some of his bonus videos right now. He has one on subjective reality, which I think is something I need to learn about. And uh, so I'm going to get a bit more sun today. Then I have an online group later. 
I feel also maybe a little bit grumpy because I feel like I would like to co-create with somebody and um, I thought maybe it would be my brain twin but he has a bit of a different perspective which is completely his right. He's more about being manic or like just being in the moment, just being and not trying to dialogue about it and share or things like that and that's kind of what I do and I was hoping to find a dialogue partner to have what I've said to myself start to flow with another person and um, he suggested sharing daily videos which I could do at some point but I feel like I want to be gone or I don't know if having security is the right answer but I think just getting out of here and um, being on the road to not coming back for however long I think that's part of my resistance is that I know that I don't want to come back so it's like it's almost like saying this energy isn't meant to be here so if one is around one's family that energy of change often gets um, reflected back and implodes and gets turned into I'm the mentally ill daughter so nobody else has to change I I change and and people do change around me for a short period of time and then it sort of comes back at me and, and I have to change back and that is a painful process so I think just feeling kind of like okay I realize this energy wants to create some kind of change, but it's not supposed to happen here. People want to go on with their lives as, as they are, and that is completely fine. But I just didn't realize that, that was what was happening. So, um, in that way I'm suppressing a lot, which is why I haven't really talked to myself too much about insights for quite a long time. Because I've been so busy trying to like, maintain my energy, like drugging myself with Zoplicone so I sleep 12 or 13 hours a day, which I haven't had to do in a really long time. But if I don't do that, then I find myself kind of frustrated. So just being awake for a few hours, like getting up, showering doing a few things in the day and then going back to sleep that's sort of what I'm doing but I don't know if that makes any sense it doesn't really but I feel like okay I'm gonna have to create whatever myself Oy. these ants are everywhere I was gonna lay on the grass here. I'm gonna check out another spot on the grass somewhere else, but I think they're everywhere. I feel kind of bad. There was 
I heard this sound and I looked over and there's this guy like under the tree back there and I thought I was all by myself here. It's like nobody around at all and I was thinking oh I'm by myself I can see him way over there and I could tell that he was crying and he was sort of laying on the ground and like kicking his feet a little bit and crying and then he got up and sat on the fence and was crying and I really wanted to say hey dude are you okay but the sad fact is that I don't feel safe when I'm all by myself here and there's one single guy who is big and strong over there crying. If I was a man, maybe I'd be less apt to ask, but then I'd also feel safer. But I'm not a man and so I didn't say anything and I really think that I should have. You know, another human being suffering. But when he got up and he went to sit on the fence, he kind of looked over at me when he was crying. And I don't know if that was like, you know, there's a, a sense in my brain, like, keep yourself safe. Um, he could be crying to get you to talk to him. That is um, where my brain goes to keep me safe. And it's a sad fact that I don't feel safe um, approaching a man that's crying when, you know, usually men don't cry, so it seemed pretty authentic. But I don't know. Sorry. If there were other people around, maybe I would say something, but there's nobody. Though I could have held my phone with the emergency SOS button ready to go and then I saw him drinking out of a flask when he left so he was drinking which just means that he's in pain it doesn't like I'm not judging the drinking but I do feel I felt I did feel like I wanted to say hey are you okay and talk with him but being alone in a park nobody else is in the parking lot at all nobody really comes over here so I was thinking oh this is so nice just to have it to myself but then somebody in pain wanders in and you know I talk a lot about pain and mental health and bipolar and everything yet I can't reach out to someone who's in pain because my fear of um, being alone with a man is greater and that's that's a sad fact sad fact you know if a woman smiling at a man can be misinterpreted as oh maybe this is going to go somewhere then I don't know I just don't feel safe. I think I didn't pass the test there. I think I failed. But at the same time, I didn't want to put myself in an awkward situation. And that's, 
that is sad. Because that person seemed like he was in a lot of pain. Had, if I looked like um, a, a nice older grandma or something, maybe I would. But I don't know. But I want to be able to, to be with people in those moments. I think it's really important. I think that was a royal mess up. But I just, I was looking at him with compassion and I just didn't know. Like I couldn't tell. Obviously he's in pain, but I don't know if he went and sat there on purpose and cried. My female spidey senses are too strong. lady just complimented me on my tan. I think I must look more tan from further away than I do up close. But I do have tan lines. And I have a dandelion cup holder here. My sleep situation is getting a little bit ridiculous in that I sleep 13 hours so it keeps ticking later and later and later unless I'm up less than 12 hours <clears throat> and then if I'm up more than 12 hours it ticks an hour later so today I got I woke up at 1:45 p.m. So the good thing is that tomorrow I start the Steve Pavlina 30 day abundance deep dive integration. And I watched his bonus videos on subjective reality to do with abundance, relationships and creativity. And so tomorrow, it starts at 11, 11 a.m. And it goes every day at 11, 11 a.m. For 30 minutes. And it only costs 100 bucks US, which isn't bad. I was gonna do the thing with the spiritual master, but I hesitated, and I don't know if I'll regret that, because it was $350 US, for the course and 
then to see him when he's here, the retreat is 1200 bucks US. So basically, it would basically be over $2,000 Canadian. And that's a lot for me right now, not being in an abundance mindset. So I figured investing in the 30-day class for 100 bucks would be cool. And I am feeling a little bit low. I didn't take any tyrosine or SAMe or methylfolate today because I'm hoping to get to sleep a little bit earlier and those are quite stimulating. So I'm still going with the balancing brain chemistry stuff but I am using quite a bit of stuff to knock me out and I think I'm kind of lazy knowing that this stuff can knock me out what I'm taking will knock me out whether I've been up for 10 hours or 12 hours or 14 hours and it'll knock me out for 13 hours I kinda like because I just sleep and sleep and sleep and I don't feel I feel that's good but then now I'm starting to feel like I need to focus a bit more on my dream and not dwell on my present circumstances, which are rationally and logically fine, but they don't feel aligned with my dream. So, um, Steve Pavlina gave out other bonuses to go with signing up for the class, so I might take a look at those, because some of those are little workbooks and things. And I need to deal with my car stereo and that box of burnt papers and just focus on taking care of those little nitpicky things in order to um, be able to go away. So I'm going to start taking steps towards that and focus on the fact that I am going away and I'm happy about that and also organizing maybe so I have somewhere to go when I get back. So I'm going to enjoy my 4 o'clock coffee and sit in the sun for a while and then go to the coffee shop and work on some stuff on the computer. I feel like now that I know that I'm really alone with this, I need to start to create and share value. And hopefully this abundance deep dive will help me with that. I'm sitting at the park with my coffee and I was supposed to see my GP today for the first time. And so I dressed up a little bit to look more sane. And she canceled because she's unwell. And I was gonna ask about getting a, a prescription for Nausanan for sleep to replace the Zoplicone. And I was also gonna ask about getting three months of my prescription at a time so I could go to California for three months. I'm going for six months but I'm, I would say I'm only going for three just to at least get the three months because I do have enough otherwise to get me through that time period.
and having a little bit of a dilemma today because I could get a bit more work in September and I was thinking of maybe taking off for California September 1st but if I stay and do the work um, I could make a bit of money plus I was calculating since I was pretty much away for March of this year and I can only be away six months in a 12 month period of time if I leave in September, I can only stay in California till the end of January. But if I leave after September, I could leave California at the end of March. Now the thing is that I would have somewhere to stay for sure in September, as well as October to December. But if I go October to December, I have somewhere to stay. And then the next three months, I don't have somewhere to stay. So I'd have an extra month of somewhere to stay if I went in September. The other thing too is I've been back from the island for a month and it feels really long. Like it's a long month. It's arduous to knock myself out with sleeping pills and stuff like that. And then also if I stay there's the chance that I won't have the sleeping pills anymore or they'll stop working and I won't be able to sleep so there's a higher chance of going into crisis if I'm not in the right environment. So, I think for me it's less about the money of September and more about if I stay here till the end of September, I could stay in California to the end of March, which would get me through pretty much all of winter. So it's more about the sunshine, but then that would mean I have two months here. The other thing though is, if I say yes, I can do the work, if something happens and things start to go downhill, I can say, sorry, I can't do it. That would be really bad in terms of the job, but um, you know, based on how I feel now, I feel like, yeah, I can stay till the end of September, everything will be fine, but that might not be how it plays out over the next month. So I could drop out of that commitment last minute and, and go away. I would likely lose my job, but my sanity would be more important and that's the thing I, it's hard for me to plan like how long things are going to be good for and the thing is I'll probably have another crisis in the end of December so that would be getting through a crisis while in another country and throughout my journey I already feel like I have enough evidence to show that being in a really resonant environment is the most important thing because I had the crisis in in 2017 and then I went to California and not much happened I tapered off the meds and then the crisis came back and and it was really bad being in a, in a not good environment so yeah I think I think I'll say yes to the work and then see how the next couple weeks goes because I can change my mind based on my wellness that's not ideal but it's more based on the fact that leaving in October is ideal in terms of the weather pattern and I would pretty much be planning to not come back I would come back but well, I don't know, I would be open to kind of anything. And what this time of 
sort of waking up and doing whatever has taught me and not doing that much of anything and not feeling like I can do much of anything. Just sort of eating at restaurants, what have you. I've been eating a bit healthier lately. I've been having blueberries and then um, like booster juice versus pizza. So the junk food craving has subsided naturally. And I'm gonna go get a Jugo juice after I finish my coffee. And yeah, so this process has showed me like I really, I really don't need very much. It's almost like I don't even have the capacity to need that. When I'm out at my current dwelling, there's all my stuff and I realize that all that stuff is sort of representative of needing something from the outside to, to, to fix me or help me in some way. And I don't think that there's anything that can help me from the outside. And asking for help from the outside is one of the problems. I don't think it's wrong, but I think that it can. we can get to a point where we're not asking for that help. I would never suggest to someone don't ask for that help if you really are in emergency, but um, I've seen the subtle ways that we try to ask for help because it's comfortable. It's a very subtle thing. And what I've seen in my own experience is I don't want that kind of help. So working on allowing the energy that's even subconscious of those gestures that would seek to reach out and have others come to one's rescue um, to help. You know, when so much of our society is based on help me, like take this, buy this and it'll help you in some way. Like all of advertising is that in a way. This will make things better, which implies help. And I think that movement of seeking something from the outside is, is the primary problem. When we think about the state we go into in mania, we don't ask for help, we're creating. It's a creative state. It requires nothing in particular, yet feels like everything. So I'm feeling like I want to write a book on this stuff. Maybe I don't because I've already talked about a lot of it and I haven't been talking about it so much lately. I do feel that it's not yet time to share because I haven't, what I would say before, I haven't embodied my mania. I think that's something that I could work on in the next two months is rather than only sitting here, um, do something to spark people, not necessarily help them, but spark them. Like there was a lady who started talking to me at the park yesterday and said, oh, I really like your tan. You look like you're a lifeguard or something. And we talked for a couple minutes and then I went and put my little blanket down and sat and just sat in the sun. And she was sort of like across the way at the picnic shelter with her head in her hands. Like, um, I don't know. There seemed like I could have, it seems like I could have talked more. But I had my own agenda of sitting in the sun. So 
even getting rid of that agenda, the agenda to sit by oneself and do nothing, can move towards connecting with others without feeling like helping or what have you. It's just sort of a human faculty. So yeah, that's something I could play with this next month or two since I'm like sitting here not really doing much anyway. But it's important, I think it's really an important phase to be, to have this bipolar thing and practice really sitting and doing nothing and not allowing that energy to be translated into any kind of human thought structure. Because I feel like you know, humanity has this content of consciousness and this is where the teachings of other people come into play too, like Krishnamurti, he talks about the content of human consciousness and dropping that whole content. And that whole content of consciousness is like, it's like machinery. Like if I say something as somebody, the content of their thinking will be provoked. And I think that's part of what happens when we go into mania. The content of consciousness that we have access to has changed. It's different. It's a totally different energy and it's, it's more disjointed. It's not like this fully formed structure of human content. Part of the structure of human content would be if people start acting differently, then people start looking at them like they might need some kind of psychiatric help. They didn't come up with that on their own. That's part of, of psychiatry and things like mental health first aid, training people to look at people like if they're not like they usually are or something is a little bit off, then they need psychiatric help and, and funneling them back into that system of thought. Um, but I feel like through dialogue with each other, we can start to see ourselves in a different way. And I've been thinking about how it's possible. I don't talk in absolutes at all, but it's possible that we as people who are labeled with bipolar, and I'll use the terms bipolar and mania for now because that's what would easily identify somebody as being of similar mindset and heart set. So we have a similar mindset and heart set, but since we're sort of here, there, and everywhere, um, we're easily enticed into seeing ourselves in terms of um, the mental illness perspective. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, per se. I think it is a temporary step. And I don't want to think in terms of, well, everybody needs to transcend ever reaching out for mental health help. I don't think that's true, but I feel like if we end up back in that position of, say, being hospitalized, then we can realize it's sort of like, like a video game where we just lost a life, but we can start again. So somebody who plays a video game and then loses a life and doesn't get to the end of the level, they might sit there overnight and think, well, how can I do things differently? Or where did I go wrong there? Or, what happened? Or, um, the thing with a video game is that it'll be the same the next time and they can learn. And this, in this video game that we're in as people with bipolar, it's not necessarily the same in terms of 
um, the same things will happen, but it is the same in that it's the same eternity, it's the same eternal now that we're all participating in. And so I'm thinking how it could be really important for us to dialogue with each other about some of these possibilities because words are really powerful and to the point like I'm reading this book here and I think reading Dr. David Hawkins work could be really helpful for us and even Sean Blackwell who did his series on bipolar or waking up talks about the scale of consciousness by Dr. David Hawkins and I feel that we really need to study consciousness as bipolar people because we we move in mania into a space of being identified with consciousness without knowing it so instead of identifying as an ego and a body we're identified more with consciousness but it's mixed in with the ego identification with the body. So I think that's not necessarily a problem because by going between the two states, one can work to resolve some of those um, things that happen as a result of the ego identified consciousness. And by being aware of what levels of consciousness manifest what sorts of situations, we can sort of know where we're at and how to, say, recontextualize it. So being in the ego consciousness isn't necessarily a problem, but having an awareness of that is important. So for example, one could realize that when one is around one's family, one is in the ego consciousness or should be in the ego consciousness not as in should but um, as in you must but knowing that say I'm in a manic consciousness and I'm spouting off new memes and new possibilities and new meanings they're gonna think that's strange they're gonna realize that that's not something coming from the ego and so it makes them uncomfortable they'd rather interact at the egoic level and for me right now, I'm sort of in avoiding a lot of those interactions because I, I don't like manifesting that way and I don't necessarily have anywhere to manifest in a different way right now, but I'm avoiding that. So, um, because that potentiates manifesting as that role. And I don't really have other roles yet besides sort of wandering during the day and experiencing this life and not having the pressure to do something in particular like get a job um, and I'm not necessarily against jobs right now I'm sleeping a lot a lot a lot and I'm needing that sleep to stay slow down enough to manifest on the physical plane so that's another point, I think, that we as bipolar people, we go into a state that the people who treat us like psychiatrists haven't gone to. So we can understand it for ourselves in ways by virtue of 
experiencing it subjectively and sharing that subjectivity with each other. Um, and, and so that's the important of, importance of studying the scale of consciousness and knowing where we're at. Uh, knowing that we don't necessarily control where we are on the scale of consciousness, but um, the thing that I was talking about with words being powerful, this book, um, the chapter on health and recovery, he, Dr. David Hawkins talks about um, hypnosis and how somebody can be hypnotized to say, when you wake up, you're going to be itchy. And he said some people break out in hives so they were suggested in a hypnotic state that they'd be itchy and that words those suggestion created an, an immediate sort of epigenetic effect the words this vibration of the words changes the genetics such that the proteins were expressed to develop hives um, you know, and that could happen more with people that are more suggestible in hypnosis. I don't know that much about it. And I think part of the bipolar consciousness isn't about specializing and doing a study on any particular hypothesis, but having the capacity to come up with hypotheses and make connections. And the connection I want to make is... Um, connecting bipolar to human potential and also making the point that a person on the bipolar path of human potential isn't on this linear upward progression but it goes up and down the scale of consciousness and we have access to the whole scale of consciousness and it could change from enlightenment to to death in a snap of a finger and being able to uh, deal with that type of radical change in consciousness and um, yeah so this book is mentioning hypnosis but again it's not mentioning it in terms of bipolar but he's talking about suggestibility and I'm thinking and I feel that it's true that when we get hospitalized and we're in the psych ward we're in a very vulnerable position and we're open to suggestion especially since a lot of things aren't making sense if somebody starts telling us something that kind of sums it up we're more willing to go along with it and and resign to that so to be told that one has a lifelong mental illness when one is in this suggestible vulnerable state you know the suggestibility and the vulnerability of the state can be um, shown with how a person will act on so-called irrational thoughts so you know a thought which is a suggestion of sorts um, the person will act on it that one that sentence of words will could sentence someone to a life sentence of being mentally ill if they are act upon it so acting upon those irrational thoughts or those thoughts that we feel like hey I'm not thinking these where are these coming from and that's the part, that's one of the parts that scares us is we think, I'm not the author of these thoughts. Where are they coming from? But you know, to, truthfully, we're not the author of any of our thoughts. It comes from the pool of thoughts of the collective consciousness. 
So all of a sudden we're aware that we're not the author of the thoughts. And when that happens and we get afraid of that fact, then we start having fearful thoughts and then we start having fearful actions. So it's really a snowball, a snowball effect. And, um, you know, it's really embedded in our body and how we're, we're, our whole nervous system is designed to act based on the thoughts. So the projection of thoughts, or we hear a thought, think a thought, we think we think a thought, and then we act based on that thought or not. So we're, we are often controlling which thoughts we act on, which thoughts we don't. And then in mental health situations, sometimes people get to, to a point where they're acting based on every single thought. And if we're unable to figure this, that sort of riddle out, then we often become obviously troubled to others and they may put us in a mental health type situation. Now, I don't know what it's like for some people. I watched um, a YouTube clip about these people talking about loved ones who died by suicide, who ended their life by suicide. And it was really sad and um, these loved ones, they often talked to the, their parent shortly before they did it and said something and then they were gone. So I don't know what it's like to sort of pretend you're okay and then die by suicide where my my experience have happened where I feel the suicide program coming on and I don't want to do it but it's there we all have this program within inside us that can be triggered to to go off to end our lives and it's very complicated so for me I'm talking more about the whole bipolar side of the suicide and um, part of it is that the fall from say joyfulness which is level of consciousness 600 um, or above that you know enlightenment and then falling out of it is so painful that one doesn't want to leave enlightenment and so the body, by ending the body, one might actually stay there. We don't want to, I don't know if that's true. Um, it could be true, but part of the thing as a bipolar person is that we're still here in the manifest physical world for some kind of reason. And it could be that when we end our lives, we end up living on in the heavenly light realm but I think we come back out of compassion, even though we're not aware of it. It's compassionate to come back and play the role of ill-functioning sibling or daughter so that those others can still experience this one who has been labeled with a mental illness in physical form. Um, but I think something that happens in manic consciousness is that 
we vibrate at a level that makes us see the value of every single person as a human family versus the importance of the genetic family. Um, not saying one doesn't care about their genetic family, that's not true. If one cares about every human being as much as they care about their genetic family, then the whole world would be a completely different place. So it's not about denying the importance, but you know, somehow we feel like we need to be more, um, give more love to the genetic family than to our fellow human being on the street. And I'm not saying at this level of consciousness that I'm at now, which is tranquilizing my brain nightly with lots of um, psychopharmaceuticals, that I'm in the position to feel like I want to act like that. But I have been in those states of consciousness. And I think that's part of this whole bipolar thing is we need to start talking about how we are and how life is in those higher states of consciousness. Um, not only talking about our symptoms of the fallout, which are, they make a lot of sense when you think about them in a lot of different ways. Uh, like I talked about the other day with the, the monkey experiment. Uh, we sort of start to have a fit when we realize that people are no longer responding to the energy of infinite joy and infinite love and everyone is one family and enjoying each moment and not differentiating based on programmed ego separate desires so um, so yeah um, so I don't know what to do I feel like putting together some kind of curriculum I don't I think only studying oh spirituality we're so spiritual I don't know if that can work for bipolar because we do go into states of lower consciousness and it could be as simple as interacting with one's family and um, I think something that I need to work on is, is um, not mirroring that, but not responding to it. So not trying to defend myself, but being silent. Uh, I don't need to share my perspective with people that don't understand. And when we're around our family most of the time, you know, they they don't understand. And I don't know if they're meant to understand. And I don't even know what it is that one is trying to understand. Um, there's nothing particular to understand. But... And I don't even think all these words that I've said are necessary. They're not. It's it's um I feel like if I, I was in the right environment, none of this would be needed. I would be living joyfully in a community of like minded and like hearted in individuals. And that would just be joyful and, and what have you. But um, from this perspective, 
the perspective is, here I am, alone in a park, diagnosed with bipolar, when I'm around like-minded and like-hearted people, we sit and don't talk about things that we've experienced in subjective consciousness because we all feel, oh, I just have this mental illness and it's all a bunch of crap. So, you know, I think we've all been hypnotized and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. We're all hypnotized by the structure of thought. And so when we go beyond that, and it gets scary at some point, um, you know, psychiatry is about hypnotizing us back into a system of thought and giving us a system of thought through which to understand the strangeness. And part of the strangeness is we can't understand the strangeness, like we can't at all. And so being okay with that unknown. And, um, yeah, so I've talked about so much of it along the way and I've gone through different phases and the phases go a lot more slowly than I would like in a way, but if I go back to California, I'll be able to test if I'm able to not be on as many psychopharmaceuticals to sleep because the environment is more of the vibration that I'm at. And um, I think I already showed that. And then it also shows like I don't need much just to live in a, a, a high vibe community. You don't need that much. So all these words and everything are partly a manifestation of the lack of design of, of society. Like if one was in mania and one, one wouldn't talk about this stuff per se. And that's, I think, another thing about the power of words. If we start sharing our, our manic words or the words that we have um, when we look at the experience of mania in retrospect, then perhaps we can spark those brain cells to, to come back online, right? So if somebody can be hypnotized to have hives, when we start talking these words with each other, that could... Uh, embed the, that structure into the brain and the nervous system and the being so we start acting in those ways again. Um, I'm not sure if we need safe space for that and maybe we don't need to act in those ways as much as we need to learn not to act based on the marionette system of thought. So to be at a place now where I'm referred to my GP, um, I'm not part of the structure of the whole mental health system, part of the GP system, um, perhaps I'm hoping in the next number of months I can get out of that, possibly, um, be in a place where I can taper and use less meds and then I have more meds on hand to use if I do get into a situation where I need them. Like the tranquilizers, they just slow down the vibration. You know, and matter is a slower vibration than light, so it makes one more able to manifest in this world of matter. Um, if we don't get enough sleep, we end up feeling like we're going to end our lives, and then if we do end our lives, we probably just go off into the dream world. We wake up from a bad dream of, oh wow, 
that was a bad dream being diagnosed with a mental illness but we're we're still here for some kind of reason and we need to communicate with each other and have an understanding inside ourselves that nobody will know if we understand it in these ways that we're talking about with each other they can't read our minds we can read theirs sometimes but they can't read ours but they do know if we're acting based on fear so we have to no longer be afraid no longer be afraid of this deconditioning process which can be really painful at times so there's so much to be said about it and um, yeah hi I haven't really talked to myself much lately because there is an out-of-town visitor so I've been socializing and it's making the month go by pretty fast. I don't even know what the date is, but it must be like the 8th or 9th, I guess, of August. And so the visitor will be around for another, most of the next 10 days or half of the next 10 days. So that gives me something to do, socialize. And that will make half the month by quite fast and another thing is I took my car in today and they're going to replace the audio unit and hopefully that fixes that problem that I'm having with the screen going blank and the GPS not working and things like that so once that's sorted out that will be something to be happy about and I filled my prescriptions today so I got another two-week supply of Zoplicone, which at the rate I'm using it, which is half per night, will last me another month and I still have probably a month worth. So I have two months worth of Zoplicone at the rate I'm going with it and I'm also taking the one and a half Trazodone and two Benadryl and two and a half Quetiapine. So I got my prescriptions today because I'm seeing my GP tomorrow for the first time regarding mental health issues and I'm really hoping that she'll be open to writing the prescriptions I need because she doesn't have time to talk with me like the clinician and psychiatrist did so she kind of has to trust what I'm asking for. I hope she doesn't do the thing where oh I'm gonna give you less refills because I don't know you yet. Well I know myself so I'm hoping she'll give me a three month supply for going down to California three months at a time. I usually get one month at a time multiple refills. So we'll see what happens and I'm hoping she might give me a prescription for Nausanan which apparently helps with sleep. So even if I have a one month supply of that, that should be good. And I think once I'm in California I'll be able to get these sleeping troubles under control because I think being in an environment that I don't feel like there's stress buildup, so I'm having to take more and more stuff to sleep. And on the combination I'm taking right now, I'm sleeping quite well. I remember I used to sleep like waking up in the morning with my hands above my head and laying on my back. And I feel quite relaxed and sometimes I just lay there and continue to dream. Fall back asleep, wake up, fall back asleep. Sleeping about 12 hours right now or maybe 11, which isn't too bad. And 
Even just having this other person around is making it so I don't feel like I need to sleep 13 hours. So having this other person around is like mitigating some of the stress that's there otherwise. And so they're going to replace the audio unit on Saturday and then that'll be done and then hopefully the prescription thing will be kind of taken care of. So my car will be ready, hopefully my prescriptions will be ready. She might say, oh well I want to see you in a month and then I'll write you the three month script which I would rather get it now because I might decide to leave September 1st depending on how things go. I'm planning on sticking it out here for September but depending on how things go I want to be able to just take off so I'll tell her I'm planning to leave September 1st maybe and then she'll write me the three month script and I already have two months refill on the other so I can just get one of those and then fill the three months and I'll be good to go and I don't know what the other thing is, but I'm sitting at the park taking a little time for myself. And my brain's been working away a little bit lately. I've been taking this deep abundance integration with Steve Pavlina. I followed his blog on and off for a few years, and I don't really live like he does per se, but I think he has good ideas. and. Right now it's about day seven of 30 days in a row of half an hour, but he goes for more like an hour. And he'll probably sell the program afterwards. But it's interesting because he talks about subjective reality as a lens, as a tool, as well as objective reality. And he did this thing where he talked about the movie Mission Impossible Fallout through like an through a subjective lens, meaning sort of extrapolating the symbolism and the meaning to like um, a story or like a hero's journey or to the journey of his life. And I was thinking that what he, and people were sort of fascinated by what he was doing. And I was realizing that the manic brain is sort of doing that all the time. Like everything seems to have some kind of subjective meaning related to one's life personally like one could see a butterfly and be like well that's a sign of something and, and feel like it's a metaphor or a symbol or he um for something and he also mentioned how Leonardo da Vinci learned a lot by analogy so seeing that the rivers were kind of shaped like the tree branches and the arteries in the heart and the body and and sort of saw those patterns and that's something that our brains do in mania too so I think our brains they switch into like a hyper learning mode and I've talked a lot about this before but it's you know extrapolation analogy simile metaphor uh, whatever there's probably a lot of different terms for how the brain changes an operation and I feel like it takes on a subjective reality lens and what I sort of I've had a few insights from taking his class so far and one of them is that the subjective reality of mania or subjective reality in general isn't meant to be happening all the time it's a certain lens it's a certain um, like I feel like the universe is making that lens come up in us so people who don't have that change over automatically through the powers of the universe can still think subjectively but 
in mania, our brains go into that sort of thinking. And then it's seen as an illness when really the brain is sort of shifting in the way it's perceiving and thinking. And then in that way, it experiences the world in a different way. And perhaps if we learn to switch into that and switch out of it, like just the brain popping into that perspective for a period of time has some kind of change. It affects the whole in some way. But then taking it personally, or the thing is that when the subjective reality lens changes back to objective reality, like a separate ego self, that's an object that's not directly participating and rippling in every single moment. So it's like from from participatory and possibility and collapsing wave functions and potential to of subjectivity to objectivity. And the other thing I wanted to mention myself is I realized when I was driving today that I think this whole thing that I've been talking about about forgetfulness can be reframed as I have very little needs. So I'm forgetting about so many things, so many things that I have or things that I co commonly or often do because I don't need it. Um, I can literally sit with my backpack and just sort of go about the day and do whatever. And I don't think that's necessarily bad. It's just a sign of not really needing to remember those things because I don't necessarily need them. And that could be it for today. So I can't remember if I mentioned, but I found out I will have the house to myself for a whole week on the 25th. So that's a good chunk of the month too. And I'm thinking that I might try to make some videos, like some summary videos. Summer, huh, it's summer right now, summary. So, um, yeah, make some summary videos, even though I don't remember what I've been talking about these last two years. But sum up some points. I don't even know what the point is. I think part of the point is that I got a lot of what I wanted to talk about out of my system. And it's no longer that important to talk in that way. Um, and then I've realized that being in the wrong uh, life and living situation creates stress. And that's probably part of why I'm not talking to myself in those ways too. And I don't have a place where it's just my own place where I can talk about things that I want to talk about with myself so it's kind of suppressed and um, that's okay I'm not really experienced side effects of the meds so I might try to make some videos kind of summary ones or talk about new stuff I do have some new stuff written down but they're very short points and they're not really like if I look at them, I don't really think of more extrapolations for them, um, which could be good. I think I had a really strong need to talk about all those things in the way that I did. And now I don't really, I'm just feeling like a lot of my needs are disappearing. I need sun. I need to be warm. I don't like being cold. And um, nature and beauty and... You know, somebody that I care about around me, I guess. So that's what I'll be 
exploring when I'm in California in October. And it'll be a journey, so I'm planning to go away, maybe never come back or probably come back because I need to come back to Canada, but um, I don't know if I'll come back here or I'll just keep following the synchronicities now that I'm seeing that feeling like what I have now is security really isn't security. It was maybe a bit of security when I had my own place and, but the, it was too noisy, like traffic noise. It's, you know, it's scientifically proven that that is very uh, stressful on some people. A lot of people. I just got an email about that today um, from a email from Sound Wellness. They talk a lot about noise and its effect and that's something that really does affect me now and I'll be going to California where there's not much noise and I'm really happy about that. I need silence, sunshine, following the sun and conscious open people that are wanting to grow people that aren't close-minded and really, really set in their ways. I'm seeing that that's part of what I need and uh, so I'm, I'm gonna create that and we'll see whether I leave on September 1st or October 1st. I'm not sure. I've eaten this whole bag of high chews in less than a week. And the green apple flavor actually has spirulina concentrate in it. So that means these are kind of healthy, right? And mango has beta carotene. This is great. Actually, I have two left, green apple and mango, and I'm gonna eat them now. So yeah, I'm not really eating healthy, but I'm getting through it and I'm looking forward to feeling healthier at some point. But I really don't feel that bad all in all. Pretty good considering how many meds I'm taking and things like that. I'm at the park again. I'm going to get some sun today because I haven't in a while. And um, a few things to talk about. Um, I was waiting to see my doctor, which took about an hour. So that's one of the bad things about seeing a GP instead of the mental health centers. I usually wait like five minutes maximum extra for the mental health center, but my GP I had to wait an hour. And so there was a TV with the news playing and I don't watch the news myself. And it was interesting because almost immediately after I sat down, I noticed them say, the person on the news reporting say, temporary, or they said psychosis. Here comes an airplane.
That wasn't just any airplane. I think that was one of those monster cargo planes. And um, anyway, the person, the news reporter, there goes the bicyclist who was smoking. I mean, motorcyclist. If only those people who made all those noise could remember what it was like to be a baby. There could be people walking babies through this park. But anyway, I don't know if the person who was the reporter was named Vasi Kapalos, or if that was just the show or what, because I don't follow any of it. But on the Vasi Kapalos show, it was probably around 2.45 p.m. yesterday, they were talking about something. I think it was just a news report about Canada saying something on by tweet about some country who has a hostage or something like that. I don't know. But anyways, the reporter used the word psychosis. And that um, grabbed my attention right away. So I looked at the screen and it had subtitles which were delayed. So I saw how they used the word psychosis. They said something like, they said, a sort of psychosis, a temporary amnesia. So they weren't even talking about psychosis or mental health, but they were using the word psychosis in a different context. And they were basically saying psychosis means a temporary amnesia because they were saying, oh, maybe they shouldn't have done that. Like they had a temporary amnesia. But to go as far as to call it a psychosis? I don't know. I thought that was a rather strange way to decide to use the word. You know, very purposeful and like wanting to get that word out there more or something. I don't know what it was all about, but I was kind of surprised by that. Um, I don't know. I don't think that word should be used so lightly. And But in a way, maybe it's a good thing because they're using it in a context that doesn't mean crazy or whatever. So... It could be actually lessening the impact of the word. I don't know. But I don't know. I just thought it was really strange that I sat down. I never watched the news and then that's the word they're using on the news. A sort of psychosis, like a temporary amnesia. As if that's all psychosis is, as a temporary amnesia. I don't think so. But I thought that was interesting. Also the timing, that I don't watch the news and then I sit down and then they're saying temporary psychosis. Or temporary amnesia for psychosis. If I cared, I would probably write into the station and say, you shouldn't use the word psychosis lightly, and it doesn't mean temporary amnesia. Um, they're also maybe inferring that the people were nuts, or I don't know. Um, I don't really have a problem with the word psychosis, but I feel that I've experienced it many times, and it's not only temporary amnesia. But in a way, part of, it, part of it is temporary amnesia, like mania. Imagine being fresh, like having an, am, an amnesia of all one's limiting beliefs in a, for a temporary amount of time. How, what would one's life look like? And it could look somewhat like mania. And um, yeah, so I saw my doctor. I was hoping to get a three-month prescription so then I could take off at any time, but she gave me a month. She, for sleep, recommended I go up to 150 milligrams of trazodone. And then she did give me the nausea for a month, but then she said, excuse me, 
She said, be careful of weight gain, which is true. Um, so I don't maybe want to take that so much. I will fill that at some point. I do have enough Zoplocone to keep taking it for another couple months because I'm only taking half at a time. I could try to take maybe a quarter of the Zoplocone and up the Trazodone to 150 milligrams and see if that helps. As long as I can get to sleep, that's fine. I remember for a while, I was when I woke up, I was sort of sleeping with my arms above my head and I felt so relaxed. And I'm going to have to remember that clip is very loud. And um, yeah, so lately when taking these pills for sleep, I'm waking up like that and I do feel really calm and relaxed. And I am noticing that the spire is showing less tense breathing in general. I'm not wearing it as much as I was. Um, I kind of forget sometimes. I forget quite a lot, but the days that I do wear it, there's just not as much tracked tense or um, even focused breathing. So it's changing my breathing pattern to not be tense or focused. And maybe it's making my tense breathing more like the regular um, people because each month it sends me a, or each week it sends me a summary and it'll be like I have like six hours of tense breathing a week and everyone else has like 0.5 hours on average so um, it could be good because it's calming me down I do also think that a calming environment would have the same kind of effect so when I go to California, I want to experiment with will I have um, more calm breathing, less tense breathing, and be able to take less and less medication. Right now, I'm taking 75 milligrams of trazodone and um, 100 milligrams of quetiapine. No, 50 and then a half. So... 62.5 of quetiapine and uh, I'm taking two Benadryl and and then the half of a Zoplicone and today I weighed myself for the first time in a, a number of years though I might have weighed it once a little while ago and my scale said that I weigh 120 pounds, and that's actually not too bad. Uh, I haven't weighed myself in years. I used to weigh myself a lot when I was younger. And then when I was doing raw vegan about three or four years ago, I never weighed myself because I was really thin. And I, when I did weigh myself, I was 105 pounds. And I looked really healthy. And I was taking psych meds. I was taking... Uh, 750 of lithium and I was taking 150 of Zoloft and also probably 50 25 or 50 milligrams of trazodone that was my daily thing for many years for probably three and a half years and I was raw vegan for the last year of that 
and I was 105 pounds, and I felt really healthy and really good. But then I tapered off my meds and destabilized and sort of messed things up, you know, quote, messed things up in a way. And now, so now I'm taking more psych meds. I'm taking quetiapine. I'm not taking the lithium because I'm taking lithium orotate. But I'm taking quite a bit of psych meds, and I'm 15 pounds more than my really healthy weight. Um, not meaning I have to be 105 to be healthy, but when I'm being really healthy like a raw vegan, that's what my body can accomplish. So to be only 15 pounds heavier when taking these extra psych meds, taking antipsychotics, which I never took before, and also um, I haven't been cooking for myself at all. Yesterday I had a huge mucho burrito. The day before I had big thing of pad thai, veggie pad thai. The day before that I had Indian food with naan and rice palak paneer and it keeps going back like that so I've been eating at restaurants every single day so to be 120 is not that bad and I don't really care um, I'd like to feel healthier but I think it's good to know that I can eat restaurant food and not be the healthiest and still not gain a ton of weight so it is possible And yeah, I have written down some insights and things lately, but they're disorganized and I'm not really in that mode of talking about them. But I might try to get into that mode a little bit when I have um, a week to myself in the house. I'm getting a bit more excited to go to California and I'm thinking I will go around October to March. And the last three months I'll be free. So today I realized that I could plan to go around to different places in California that are educational. Because um, there are a lot of places in California. There's SLN. Um, there's a lot of people doing a lot of things regarding mental health. So I could, I could possibly arrange a trip and tour around and do things like that. Or do fun things. I'm not sure what will happen. So... Yeah, I feel like um, at night lately I've been watching Downton Abbey, but I could spend some time getting a bit more organized, organizing my papers, like all my receipts and things for taxes, so then when I do come back it's all organized, or I can also put it aside somewhere um, along with some extra medication, so when I do come back, if I need to stop by and grab it, I can just stop by and grab it, because I don't... I don't want to get in the habit of staying where I'm staying again, if possible. We will see. So, yeah, and I'm taking this 30-day deep abundance dive with Steve Pavlina. And I'm kind of liking it. I am liking it. I like him as a blogger. He has a lot of information. And it's a bit of a challenge for me because he... Uh, he might say do this or do that in a way and I will forget like today he gave an activity of um, I wrote it down probably oh yeah write down if then and so you know if I go to California 
then my family will be worried and I will feel that energy and I feel that that warps my experience or something like that. So um, he wrote down, he said write down these different blocks like these if, then, and type of belief systems that we have. And so he said reframe, reframe those blocks. But I'm not going to remember to do that, probably. Uh, but the good thing is I could go through the course again if I want. And I am liking the 30-day deep dive aspect because in the first few days, he talked a lot about subjective reality. And I asked him in an email before the course started to talk about subjective reality. Um, I could probably read that email that I wrote to him because it's based on how I feel that my experience is changing at least temporarily like right now it's my harder three months of time and I'm not doing that badly but I'm not feeling lack of executive functioning because I've been keeping my life very simple so if I had some fancy job where I had to think a lot and do a lot and organize a lot and multitask I would probably not be able to do it right now and maybe I'd even be depressed because I wasn't able to do it. But since before the energy dropped out this year, I was practicing doing nothing. Just getting up, showering, going to the park, going to a restaurant, getting some food. Very simple days. Since that is within my level of functioning even now when maybe my executive functioning isn't as good, there's not... There's not a, a subjective experiencer or interpreter interpreting myself and my experience as, oh, I'm not good enough and I'm not able to do what I'm usually able to do because I've practiced this type of simplicity that is kind of like what I was talking about with myself years ago, uh, being homeless, not homeless, but being at home less. And I was like pretending it would have something to do with helping homelessness if you're homeless. Um, but in a way, this experience that I've been having of being at home less, sun, sunny out, um, it's been a good learning experience, I think, because I've learned, hey, I can spend extra on food. I have a place to live. I have a car. I can spend extra on food and just sort of go about each day and, and do whatever and be in the sun and enjoy myself. I don't really need that much to enjoy myself. I've learned that I don't need all the things that I have to enjoy myself. Before, before the energy dropped out, I did spend a bit of money because I bought like that pulse oximeter for the finger that I couldn't return. It doesn't really work very well. I bought that heart math device that I haven't been using, I never think to. It's sitting on the shelf at home. And I bought um, the Cardia device. So like things to be like getting some kind of feedback about how my physiology is experiencing things. And I don't necessarily regret that because I also bought the Spire, which I do feel has yielded lots of um, good information. So you know, without knowing it, I was going through a process of finding some sort of biofeedback device that I found helpful. And I ended up returning the Cardia device, and I still have the heart math device, but now my brain is in a state where 
I don't even think to use it. It's in a different space of functioning. So maybe if I was trying to push myself in ways that I'm just not able to do right now, then I'd feel like, oh, I need to do the cardio device to, to breathe coherently or something. But right now, I can breathe coherently in the park and or I can spend time with a friend and I'm you know years ago I might think oh I want to stay home and talk to myself about insights instead of hang out with a friend and now I'd rather hang out with a friend because my brain's not in that mode I'm thinking that it probably will go back in that mode as I lower the medications when I go to California so over these years I've learned a lot. I've learned not to resist the medications um, where they're helpful. I've learned to use the medications and also supplements to uh, mitigate some of the ups and downs. I feel like I've possibly gotten over the depressive aspects perhaps because even this time with the last crisis I didn't go into depression and that could have been because I went to the island um, last year I did have a big depression um, not even that much but there was more psychosis and then I worked at that warehouse and I got through the winter it was really hard three months so difficult this time when the crisis happened and it's summertime I'm able to be outside live simply and there's no depression. I haven't really experienced any of it. So that's why I want to keep going with what I'm learning because I feel that we, as people who are diagnosed with bipolar, can get to a point where we don't experience um, mania and depression. And other, you know, for example, there's um, bipolar in order which would say, learn to be functional in all your states. You know, ups and downs. And like, you still have terrible depressions and, and really strong manias and things, but you learn to function within that. But what through what I'm learning, and I could be wrong because I am taking meds right now, I think there is a way to not have the the highs and lows as much because we're able to design what to do when different cycles are happening. And, you know, maybe he's saying the same thing in a different way. I don't know. Um, you know, my method, right, what I'm experiencing and exploring isn't based on productivity. Because, um, you know, his thing is about results and productivity you know, and I think the whole world is based on, like, what's the result and what's the productivity of you? And if you're not productive, you have no value. And I think there's a lot of value in the invisible stuff that happens when that energy comes. And I feel when we try not to do anything with it, it has a doing of its own. When it's not channeled into human doing. And I think that's part of what some of us can explore I'm not saying it's right or wrong or anything but we can explore surrendering surrendering to that as a possibility and then when we stop putting all these energies into the system of humanity that we've been designed to follow as like a cookie cutter lifestyle then it could be possible that 
we don't feel the highs and lows because um, I think the high and the low comes from putting the energy into the doer. So when we augment the doer and do a lot with mania, then it um, the doer has the equal and opposite reaction and goes into a depression and now it can't do anything. So it's feeling like now I can't do anything. Whereas when we don't do anything with the energy in particular, I don't think that same thing happens. And I think that could be possibly a lot simpler. And getting to that place, I don't necessarily feel is the final, oh, that's that's it. I'm supposed to sit in a park and do nothing. But I feel that allowing those doership circuits in the, the body and the the musculature and the nerves to sort of um, diminish, then those other circuits can be built more easily. And we can let the universe inform us about that instead of the human structure that we've already um, been living in as a human society for many years. And I feel that I feel that it's really important to move into co-creation yet I haven't yet got to this myself but I was thinking uh, you know Steve Pavlina has been talking about subjectivity or subjective reality versus objective reality and how each are a viewpoint and a tool and not necessarily to be kept all the time per se but for me I feel like the universe is testing out putting certain brains into subjective reality. And when that happens, one feels like everything, and even anyone that one comes into contact with, there feels like there's no separation. And this isn't sustainable. And it's not like I say, oh, I want to go into subjectivity now, I'm going to put this on as a lens and a tool, and then I'll put it down. No, the universe puts us into it, and we don't have a choice. And so... Steve Pavlina also talks about trusting the universe. Well, I feel for people who go into mania and go into the subjectivity and this love and this energy, uh, whatever it is, um, it's harder to remember because I don't really go into it like I used to. I feel the universe is trying to learn how to trust us, seeing who it can trust with this energy. Um, so, so yeah, I think that there's a lot more to it that is beyond human conceptualization and um, yeah so I'm sort of going with this because of how in the past it seems like things fall out when I'm doing my best and so just sort of doing something else and being able to be fine with nothing I have a lot of stuff at home and right now I don't even have the eyes to see it like I have my blue light on my desk Sitting watching Steve Pavlina, I don't even turn it on because I just don't even see it. It's not even there. It is there, but it's not important. So, um, I don't know enough about bipolar in order to fully go into it, but he talks more about functionality, outcomes, results, productivity. Um, everyone... Well, I don't want to say the word to everyone, but people like to feel productive, um, for sure. But 
I just think there could be something totally different that we're missing. So I could try to spend my energy trying to be productive in the constructs of human society, the nine to five, the rat race, the treadmill, and and maybe fail at that over and over again, but keep trying. Or I could do the opposite. I could get really good at doing nothing. Getting up leisurely, taking a shower, coming to the park, enjoying a coffee, sitting in the sun, getting some sun, getting some earthing, listening to the birds, and um, then getting some kind of food at a restaurant, which supports the local business or the food chain, if, if it's that. And uh, um, perhaps if I get good enough at that, and I'm so on it attached to my stuff and you know my own kitchen with my own supplies and my own habits I don't even have a kitchen right now um, my stuff that I use like lighting a candle or looking at a, a tarot card or something like that I haven't done any of that those things are all in drawers I never see them and I don't um, use them you know I even forget to put my love whistle on half the time right now so forgetting everything instead of trying to remember how to use tools in order to function in the dysfunctional world. So, after so much of doing that, it's possible that it's easy enough to wander away at some point and know, hey, I just need sun and food and whatever, and wander in reality, and then maybe that's when one meets someone or makes a new friend, or you know, life can go in a totally different direction than something that would be found within the dysfunctional functionality. You know, all I really need is this backpack and um, a place to sleep. And I'm getting to the point, maybe if I didn't have so many supplements to take, that I could just sort of wander, possibly. Um, I don't have uh, the money to just wander like that right now, but that's the other thing that I've noticed with uh, the Steve Pavlina deep dive is that by listening to him every day, today's day nine, by listening to him every day, my mind is getting into a bit of a different state. He talked about subjective reality from the very beginning. So he's been talking about subjective reality since the beginning and um, he talked about objective reality, it sounded like I said a boot, um, objective reality, subjective reality, and then like telling your story and reframing and the if-then, so he's giving these different tools, and on the day he was talking about telling your story in a more interesting way, um, I've realized that some of these things in my life that have happened, good, bad, indifferent, even this process of dialogue makes a bit of an interesting story. It's part of my journey. So even things that I call bad, if I think, is this an interesting story? Well, some of it is. And that sort of made me feel a little bit lighter about some of this. Especially um, with reframing the whole sort of um, being attached to what parents might think or do or say if I live a certain way and feeling more like this is an interesting story sort of diminishes the fear of 
oh, this person might think this or that or the negative feedback from from people. And I think that's something that I'm going to have to get used to. I'm not sure what I was saying, but something I wanted to say was that by doing the first nine days of this 30-day abundance deep dive, I'm sort of seeing the value of watching something daily to get the brain into a different way of thinking. And then I was thinking about all the stuff I've talked about with myself and how if I eventually do share it and somebody watches a little bit every day of some of it or something, then maybe it could be helpful um, for people that are bipolar. And yeah, and then even the process of me talking to myself almost daily, not as much lately, um, which is fine. I can see the different sort of stages that have happened for me. Um, this stage that I'm in now is about releasing attachment to people who I think that I need to please as well as to my stuff and to doing anything in particular. And I do feel like when I go off to California, wow, that's intense. The planes are doing some practice and um, yeah, so when I go off to California, I'm going to be going from like zero, sort of like mania in a way, like just going and having a journey, but having a lot more wisdom from all the number of years that I've gone through this. So it should be interesting. That might be the start of when this gets interesting. I, I do know that I do want to create something to share at some point because besides my little blog posts I haven't really published very much and sometimes I think oh I could write a book but I don't know if my brain can organize things in that way but um, yeah when I have some space in the house I might work on uh, work on putting it into some kind of, uh, not logical format, but something. I think it'd be cool even if I put just a small little book out there. Sometimes I think, oh, I need to get everything into one thing, but maybe just having a little bit of a, a, a tester to see if this resonates with anyone who has the bipolar label. Um, and it's about recontextualizing it, and that's what I've been doing for my myself. And Steve said today a quote from uh, Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And that was written by the man who was in a concentration camp. And he said, people, the people most likely to survive are the ones that find meaning in the experience. So he was talking about his awful experience of being in a concert concentration camp. And for me, I just sort of 
made that analogous to the experience of, of a bipolar label. You know, for me, I feel my survival has been, um, been, uh, is more and more likely because I found so much meaning in the experience. And um, that's what I think is the most important thing. And that's actually what I think one of the roles is, is to help us find meaning in life in different ways that we've created ourselves in the moment. And that's something that I noticed. I think I talked about how Steve talked about the movie um, Mission Impossible Fallout. And he was extrapolating the different themes in the movie. He was making um, sort of metaphors and analogies and um, he called it in the subjective reality interpretation according to his life, right? Like what, what is meaningful to him? And I saw that that's kind of what our brain goes into when we go into mania. Like everything we see feels some kind of meaning subjectively. Maybe it's not objective meaning. Maybe that meaning isn't out there as an object, but it's subjective meaning. And we can take that subjective meaning, we can share it, and maybe some people will see that subjective meaning within their own subjectivity too. And maybe by being able to give subjective meaning, maybe that has a lot of value. People on the Zoom call seemed to think what he was doing was pretty cool. And then I realized, wow, that's the kind of way our, our brain goes into, into mania. And we're talking about these things and the subjective meanings, and that's why we're saying things that are kind of out there sometimes, because we're making these really big leaps in what, um, what things are associated. You know, that's what advertising does, right? They, they try to like associate a truck with like a beautiful person or something. When the truck has nothing to do with a beautiful person per se, but by making that association, um, we feel good or like having the truck has more meaning than just a truck and trucks going by right now. So we can do that each moment in our life and that can give our subjective life meaning. We've been taught that most of what has value is what is objective. And we've been told what things mean and what to value. And when our brain changes and we start seeing things differently and making our own evaluations to our own subjective experience, then that is seen as a mental illness when it gets to a certain point. Um, I don't think it's that at all. I think we need to learn how to share that subjectivity and pass on what we see as meaningful to others. Otherwise, they can only adopt what they've been told is meaningful. And more and more people are seeing that as meaningless. Like, look at the teenage suicides. It's for a teenager to end their life, to see life as meaningless. If one was to be able to go into the manic perspective, automatically one would have access to infinite subjective meaning in each moment. And I think that um, is really important. It's really important. Thank you 
for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.